This morning we're back in Philippians chapter 2. And again we'll be reading verses 1 through 18 of chapter 2. The word of our Lord from the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Philippians. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Father, we thank you for your holy and precious word. We pray that you administer to us by your spirit, according to your word. We pray in the mighty name of your son, Jesus, our Lord, your incarnate word, our coming king. In his name we pray. Amen. So it was John Newton, whose name you're you're probably familiar with, the the author of Amazing Grace, the old... um, the old slave shipman um, who was converted to Christ and became eventually a pastor and a theologian um, and hymn writer, of course. Uh, it, was, it was that John Newton who said, there is one political maxim which comforts me. The Lord reigns. Uh, You thought he was going to say something about the Tories or the Whigs or something like that. That's the only political maxim that comforts John Newton back in the 1700s. The Lord reigns. Um, 
I don't know where you are politically. I don't know how you voted this past Tuesday. I don't know if you voted this past Tuesday. You're probably tired of seeing advertisements. You're probably tired of getting ad, uh, political mail in the mailbox. You're probably tired of seeing it pop up on your social media feeds and all that sort of stuff. And you're probably thinking, oh my goodness, we're going to have another few weeks of this mess. Um, but bear in mind, regardless of your frustrations or disappointments or fears or any of that, or even your grand victories that you might envision, the Lord reigns. As we promised this last Sunday, and as the scriptures are abundantly clear, it is Christ Jesus who is Lord over all. We may not yet see it fully, but he is truly Lord over all. There's something that, that politics um, kind of develops in us. It kind of stokes in us. And it's a desire that we find within us. It's a desire that is actually natural. It's part of being created in God's image. But it's also part of living in a fallen world, such as the world in which we find ourselves. And that is a desire for rest and peace. We get tired. We get worn out. We get exhausted and we long for rest. Physically, we get tired. Emotionally, we get tired. Spiritually, let's be honest, we get tired and we long for rest. We get politically tired. We get culturally tired. And part of that is because we're always, especially nowadays, we are always tapped in to politics and culture and the culture warring and all the debating. It's constant in our lives. For most of us, it's part of our daily interactions with others. We just want to be friends with people. We just want to get to know somebody. And you're asked, what's your vaccination? vaccination lost a syllable there what's your vaccination record look like or how did you vote this past Tuesday or so what do you think about the uh, the runoffs that are pending we just want to talk sports Bill man my rebels just came up short barely um, but so we're constantly engaged with kind of in a in a tribalistic way and in an embattled way culture and we're constantly and normally by culture we're not talking about at least the news they're not talking about things that are true good and beautiful about culture they're talking about politics because that's the thing that we're always tapped into but in that same vein we also long for peace now you're probably thinking well peace and rest those kind of go hand in hand yeah they do they, they feed off of one another but we long for freedom of strife and it's not just because of strife because sometimes we actually find some fulfillment in strife you know you feel fulfilled spending yourselves on the battlefield of a football field you feel fulfilled by working hard and causing your muscles to ache and your sweat to to pour off your your forehead you you kind of feel fulfilled in hard work and in being embroiled and embattled but peace is not just the cessation of that stuff. Peace is feeling comfort and security and a bit of 
life functioning as it ought, even when it's functioning not as it ought, even when things are going wrong, you want to feel the comfort of knowing His sure presence. Peace is about knowing that we plant something and we entrust it to the Lord and we do all that we can to it and sure enough, give it time and that something is going to bud and bloom and blossom and bear fruit. That's what peace is about. It's not just the absence of turmoil and conflict. It's about life being put back together and functioning as it ought. And so shalom, rest, and Sabbath, or shalom, peace, and Sabbath, rest, those are deep longings of the human heart. God created us for that. He created us for Eden, a place where Adam and Eve would work, where they would bear and raise children, where they would tend the garden and bear fruit, but where they would find their perfect peace and rest in the presence of their king who came to them in the cool of the day. And so we proclaim the kingdom of heaven as citizens of heaven. And when we hear that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, we're often thinking about escape. You know, the kingdom of heaven is somewhere we get to. It's somewhere when we leave this world, we go off to. But the kingdom of heaven in the scriptures is not about escape. It's actually about arrival. And it's not even about our arrival, but instead it's about his arrival. His kingdom is his rule and his reign among his people. And all throughout the Bible, we have promises from God through the prophets, through the psalmists, in the, in the epistles of the New Testament, in the book of Revelation. All of them have this continuous refrain of, I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be with them. He promises his presence. But when we think of the kingdom of heaven, we often think of absence, not presence. We think of what's not yet. We think of what's coming. We think, again, of escape, that the kingdom of heaven is about leaving this world and leaving this body and going somewhere else, being disembodied in another world. But the scriptures promise that that's not our eternal destiny. Behold, I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for all the old had passed away. The kingdom of heaven is about God dwelling with His people on earth. And it's about His will being done on earth as in heaven. And so there is this truly now aspect of the kingdom and a not yet fully aspect of His kingdom. We enjoy His kingdom now because He is present to us as His people. Because He lives among us as His people. Because He lives within us by His Spirit as His people. And yet there's this not yet fully aspect. His kingdom is also coming in its fullness. 
But we do truly enjoy the kingdom of heaven now among us and in us and through us in the world that he made. Because in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, which is what Paul ties the Lordship to, the Lordship of Jesus to, his condescension to become one of us and to die for us, even the death of a rejected criminal, and then his resurrection and exaltation to glory, he ties that downward and upward movement to the Lordship of Jesus. In the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, new creation has broken into creation itself. That first Easter Sunday was not just the first day of a new week. It was the eighth day of God's creation week. New heaven stepped into that garden that was once a tomb. And as new creations ourselves, as the Apostle Paul promises us, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. As new creations ourselves, we are living into the reality of new creation. Learning what it means to be new creatures in Christ and leaning into the fullness of new creation. There's a um, relatively young author uh, he's a little bit older than I am, but uh, he's a little bit younger than some of you, David, and not to name names, but um, his name's uh, James K. A. Smith, and he, he, he writes a lot of stuff that I really, really enjoy. But he talks about how human beings, you and me, all of us, we are leaning types of people. We lean forward. We lean forward, not just into the future, but we lean forward toward those things we love. We're like flowers that, you know, a little potted plant that leans toward the sunlight. And so you realize after a few weeks it's kind of wonky shaped. And so you got to turn the pot so that it can lean a little bit more that direction toward the sunlight. We are leaning types of creatures. We lean toward what we long for. We lean toward what we desire and what we want. And as new creations in Christ, as people who declare the Lordship of Jesus, Paul is calling us to lean toward the kingdom, to lean toward the king and his likeness. He says that we're living as lights in the universe, lights out in the world, throughout the cosmos. We, we live as people of light, bearing light out into darkness. But what does that really look like for us? Because we live in a world that's filled with strife and unrest and filled with, with fear and panic and anxiety that's all around us and even within us. In the meantime, as we await the coming of the kingdom in its fullness, how are we to go about living in the now but not yet kingdom? We wait. Christians are a waiting people. Now hear me out. We wait, not as we often think of waiting. Because when you and I think of waiting, normally we think of being passive. We think of waiting as do-nothingness, right? Ah, we just sit around and wait, I guess. Well, there's plenty of things you can be doing as you wait. 
In fact, if you go to a restaurant this evening and you gotta wait for a table, what are you gonna do? You're gonna pull out your cell phone, check up on the social media, please don't do that. Don't be the type of person that's seen with their phone in their hands when you got people around you. Be the type of person that's engaged in conversation. Be a different kind of person, but I digress. Yeah, what are you gonna do? You're gonna talk to the people that are around you. You're gonna maybe even say, hey, I haven't been here before or in a while. May I please have a menu so I can kind of look it over? We wait actively, actively, not passively. Kind of like the waiting that a team does in spring training. There's all sorts of stuff that's happening. There's endurance drills, there's weight training, there's scrimmage games that are happening. You might even have a, a, a preseason games, and those are, of course, meaningless games. They mean nothing. You can go 4 and 0, or now, I guess, in the NFL, 3 and 0 in preseason, and it means nothing about your season, what it's going to look like, because the scrubs are playing, right? The backups, the third stringers, folks off the practice squad are playing. But, but as waiting people, people who are actively waiting the coming of the king, the coming of his kingdom in its fullness, these games in which we find ourselves embroiled are real games. They are games that matter, that really matter. Games with eternal outcomes, not outcomes that are just wiped away when the season starts. Please bear with the, um, the militant language, but kind of military language was pretty common in the scriptures and it's pretty common throughout history, especially church history. In fact, we think of the church as the church triumphant, those who have gone on before us, those beyond, those who have, uh, who have trailblazed already, and we think of the church militant. That is us. That's you and me. That's those who are actively engaged bodily in this world, waiting to go where they have gone. Those here, those left in the trenches. These are real battles with, within which we find ourselves. Real battles being waged. And eternity lies in the balance on the field of play. And yet we live as people of God in this fallen world. And in light of that, I want to share with you a few thoughts on how it is that we ought to live as the people of God in a fallen world. First of all, let's remember one simple thing. It's not the one simple thing from last week. It's something, well, that kind of follows from it. One simple thing, it's his world. This is his. This is the world that he made. The world that he declared to be good. The world that he died to save. The world that he promises to make new. And so as the hymn writer reminds us, this is my father's world. Christ, the Son, has died to redeem it. This is His world. And so, 
when we think about the world in which we live, we ought not have the mindset of escape. This world is the pits. I just want to be gone and done with it. We ought to weep. This is our Father's world. What can we do to bring light into it? What can we do to bring redemption into it? And so we live as His people in His world, not in fear, not in fear hiding from the enemy, not in fear hiding from the world, and the world is not necessarily our enemy. Because it is His world that He created, manipulated and destroyed by the enemy. And we live not in fear also of our neighbors. The enemy and our neighbors are not the same thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul in his epistle to the Ephesians reminded us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so remember, this is His world. He created it. He died to redeem it. He will recreate it and make all things new. But in the meantime... Let's live out His kingdom values as salt and light. That's why the Apostle Paul gets to, gets to meddling here about the Philippians. Don't be grumbling. Don't be stabbing each other in the back. Be a different kind of people. That's how the world lives. Live differently. Live out the values of the King. You are salt and you are light. Be salt. Be light. We all think about those welcome signs on the way in. They've only just been out there the last few weeks. We used them years ago and we broke them back out. You're coming in and you got this nice welcome. Welcome home. Right? Outside of a bowling alley. That's kind of strange. But when you go to leave, unless you're lingering around forever and don't want to leave, then you're going to be helping take stuff down. You don't have to do that. But when you go to leave, you're going to be greeted by a couple of other messages. In fact, everybody that's bowling right now and getting some lunch right now, if they leave before we do, they'll be greeted by those same messages. It'll hit them a little bit differently than it hits you, though. It'll hit them more as kind of a platitude. For you, it better hit as a reality. One says, be salt and light. Now, what in the world does somebody bowling on Sunday morning while church is happening know about being salt and light? I don't know, but again, I digress. The other message is, may you know his presence this week. I want you to know His presence this week. And I, through you, want them to know His presence this week. And a lost world will only know the presence of God throughout their daily interactions with His people. 
so. We live in the here but coming kingdom. Um, a few weeks ago, I came across a, uh, a quote from Leslie Newbegin, British missionary and theologian, that I, I uh, immediately took down because I thought, man, I need, I, need to, I need to remember that. I need to share it with you. Christians are called to live in the kingdom of God now in such a way as to raise questions for which the gospel is the answer. That's really good. You and me, we are tasked with living in this world, living among our neighbors, taking them out to lunch, spending time with them, playing t-ball with them, whatever it might be, we are called to live in such a way that the world raises questions for which the gospel is the answer. Questions like, what gives you peace in the midst of all this chaos? How is it that you seem so, not just happy all the time, but you seem to have true joy? Yes, you're happy most of the time, but even when you're not happy, you seem unshaken. You seem unshakable. What is it that we're to do about the terrible conditions of the world? How is it that we ought to care for the poor? How is it that we ought to care for the homeless? How, how is it that we ought to care about people who are in the midst of war around the world? Those are questions that the gospel not only has answers for, but is the answer for. Because the gospel summed up is how I greeted you this morning. The holy name of Jesus, our incarnate, crucified, risen, exalted, and returning King. The King who is present to His people to redeem His people. And so we live out kingdom values. And sometimes this requires a bit of sacrifice on our part. In fact, there might be parts of life in this world that we just have to miss out on because of the values of the kingdom being lived out in our lives. That's sometimes what happens. You know, sometimes light is a bit different from darkness. Sometimes salt is a little bit different from not salt. But as people, the people of God living in a fallen world, we are called also not just to be, not just to be present, but also to do, to create. And so we're called to create things that are true, to create things that are good, and to create things that are beautiful. One of my problems with the whole culture warrior type motif is that it's, it's us versus them. It's the church versus the world, not the church within the world as the leavening of the gospel. Not the church called to take dominion over the world, not as the church called to bring life and light into the world. 
So rather than culture warriors, what would it look like if you and I were instead culture makers? People who created things that are truly true. People that created things that are truly good. And people who created things that are truly beautiful. There is something not just meaningful, but eternally meaningful about engaging yourself in creative work. Whether it's farming, whether it's designing, whether it's visual art, whether it's audible art, whether it's just making life around you more pleasant, there is something redemptive about that. There's an expression of God's image in us found in that. But Christians, for really, for too long, uh, we've been engaged instead in creating things that really just aren't compelling. You ever notice, like, back in the 90s, all the Christian music was derivative of non-Christian music? I mean, it was so on the nose. You would literally go into a Christian bookstore, and he'd be like, hey, cool kids, what's up? It was like Steve Buscemi trying to be a kid, right? Like, hey, guys, if you like Nirvana, you ought to check out this band. If you like Blink-182, maybe that was later than the 90s. You ought, well, late 90s. You ought to check out this other band. But as believers, we ought to be, in our creativity, we ought to be creating things that are compelling, that are engaging, that capture the imaginations of the people who enjoy them. That honestly, you know, Austin is one of the reasons I'm, for the last two, two and a half years, been harping on poor Bishop Hooper. Did you know they dropped Psalm 150 this week? Wednesday, they ended it. They reached the end. They've been every week for the last almost three years recreating to music each of the Psalms. They started three years ago with Psalm 1. This week they ended with Psalm 150. It was funny because when, uh, when, when they were getting close to 119, the kids and I were, we weren't, Bill, I won't say we were taking bets, but we were, we were scheming about what they were going to do with the longest Psalm there is. And, uh, and I said, it'd be really funny if it ended up being the shortest song they did. But they dropped, like, what, how many, how many, uh, how many letters are in the Hebrew alphabet? 20, I think 24. And so they dropped 24 songs all in one day. Here's Psalm 119. It was pretty, pretty neat. Um, but one of the reasons I love that is because that's, that's like something that's visionary and something that's compelling. And it turned out to be something that not just was beautiful in the moment, but that was long-term beautiful for three years devoting themselves. Now, that's not quite, you know, Da Vinci, uh, you know, the art that he engaged in. But my goodness, something that's beautiful and compelling and captivating. As the people of God, we ought to be pioneers of a better way charging the frontiers of a better life, lived in a better world, as the Hebrews writer declares it. But that's not a world to which we will escape, but that's a world that God is bringing here among His people. Further up and further in, 
is not just the cry of new Narnia. It is the cry of new creation wherever it's found. If any man is in Christ, new creation. And now the cry of his heart is further up and further into that reality. So some things to keep in mind as we live as the people of God. In the midst of a world that is His, but is in rebellion. One of the things that, one of the temptations really that we might find within ourselves and without ourselves is, yeah, but doesn't it just sound like you're kind of escaping the reality of the situation by concerning yourself and creativity and living out kingdom values and declaring this is my father's world. You're, you're denying the fact that we live in a world that has fallen and you're denying the fact that we live where there is a spiritual war that is being, 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 uh, being had in the world. C.S. Lewis actually, um, in the middle of World War II, wrote an essay on education during wartime. This Oxford Don engaged in education and whatnot. Don't you realize there's a war happening and it's a global war and Europe is being destroyed, is destroying itself. Don't you realize how terrible the times are and yet you're teaching, recruiting students? Among other things, one of the interesting points that he makes is that when the war is over, and this is not a direct quote, this is a God-boldism, this is me kind of summarizing him. When the war is over, you need something remaining to have fought for, something worth preserving. Question I raised this morning is how much more so in the war of the kingdoms of darkness and light ought we be fighting for creating growing sustaining something worth fighting for something worth laying down our lives for the interesting thing is that that's, strangely enough, how new creation seems to work. The Lord takes what we make in His name, a humble, broken prayer, a, a few seeds thrown into the life of a neighbor, a song that we write, a painting that we paint. He takes what we make in His name and He offers it up to the Father who uses it in the power of His Spirit to make something beautiful and eternal. And so because 
Jesus is Lord. Because he is king over all, in his name, through his spirit, let's offer up to King Jesus lives and living that are true, that are good, that are beautiful. And let's see what the king then does with it. The one who says, Behold, I make all things new. Number one, he meant it. He really does. And number two, he meant it. He really does make all things new. Even the little acts of kindness that you offer up to him, the little pieces of creativity that you offer up to him, the little ways in which you live as light in a dark world, the little ways in which you long for and fight for peace and rest in a world that is broken and that is in turmoil. Despair not. Despair not. Instead, church, get to work. Get to work in ways like with the Salvation Army, like with Devereaux. Get to work in ways like spending time together in fellowship. Get to work in ways like crossing the street and asking that neighbor you've been thinking about and the Lord's put on your heart, hey, let's go grab some lunch. Get to work. Because we wait not passively. I promise you this, if the Lord wants passive Christians, he's got plenty of them. He doesn't want you to be one of them. He doesn't need any more. We wait actively. We are pioneer people. We are frontier fighters and friends. I've got to get that alliteration in there. Oh, oh, we had the little thing there going on. I don't even know what to call it. I'm so much not a Trekkie. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for each other. We thank you for the opportunity to be together, to gather together, to sing together, to pray together, to read your word together, to reflect upon it together, to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to lift each other up and to sharpen each other. And Lord, we thank you that we can do all of this together. Lord, we pray that you would move among us as we continue to sing, as we continue to pray, as we give, as we um, break this place down and convert this makeshift sanctuary into a fellowship hall. Lord, we pray that you would move among us even as we gather around food together. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would challenge us in our hearts and our lives where we need to be challenged. Lord, help us to be not people who fear the darkness, not people who curse the darkness. It'd be to be people who shine brightly within the darkness, among the darkness. Lord, put something on our hearts that we need to do actively 
as people of light, as your people living out your kingdom and its values. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.